0: It's very interesting. I I pastored for 17 years a traditional Presbyterian church in Jackson, Mississippi. Not the kind of place that you would expect a cult group to have started. But in fact, in the few years prior to my becoming the pastor, in the last years of the ministry of one of the most famous ministers in the Presbyterian church in, in America, Dr. James Baird, a cult group had started in the church. It actually started in a Sunday school. They had multiple adult Sunday schools, and there was a very charismatic uh, woman in the congregation who, was a, a, who had, had led many women's Bible studies, and she gathered around her a group of people, and what was promised? But a deeper experience of the Christian life that they had not yet attained from the teaching of the church. They did not, in their Sunday school class, attack Dr. Baird's pulpit preaching and ministry in the church, but they suggested that there was something more that those believers could receive through being imparted the knowledge and experience that could be offered through this group. Literally, some members of the congregation had to have spouses kidnapped and deprogrammed by cult deprogrammers. Now, this is in a Presbyterian Church in America congregation, not that long ago. So you understand that this kind of fear of false teaching and what it can do in a local congregation is not just something that's, that's something in the first century in the days of the early New Testament, we don't have that problem anymore. No, we can have that even in Bible believing congregations today. There can be those who are selling without directly attacking the sufficiency of Christ. The idea that there's something more than Christ, there's something more than the gospel. And if you're introduced into that knowledge, you will have a deeper life and experience than the mere teaching and preaching of the gospel. But Paul's message to these Christians and his message to you and me is that believers are complete in Christ. And that faith in him necessarily rules out reliance on any other subsidiary power. For nothing in this universe is beyond the scope of his sovereignty. And it's interesting that in the New Testament, frequently it is indicated that refuting false teaching actually helps true believers. Uh, perhaps you have availed yourself of ministries like Greg Kokel or Ravi Zacharias or other apologists for the Christian faith and as you have heard them refute false teaching, it has actually strengthened your faith. Well, Paul's gonna do that in this letter. It's not that everybody in this congregation is caught up with the kind of teaching that he's going to refute, but everybody in the congregation can benefit from it. So even if you haven't been tempted to some kind of religious syncretism, even if you haven't fallen prey to some sort of false teaching, it's always good to be helped by an exposition of the truth that refutes what is false. And I want you to see how Paul does that in this prayer today we ourselves need to be regularly reminded and reassured of the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the power and effectiveness of the gospel. And Paul helps us do that in three ways in this passage. He does these three things. First, he points us to God as the source of our salvation. You'll see that in verse three. Second, he shows us what God produces by the gospel working in us. He does that in verses four and five to the middle part of verse five. He shows us what God produces by the gospel working in us. In other words, he confirms to us that the gospel works. And then third, and you'll see this from the middle of verse five all the way down to verse eight, he assures us, that if we have heard the apostolic gospel, if if we have heard the gospel as it is proclaimed by the apostles, as it is set forth in scripture, then we have heard the truth and there is nothing deeper or better for us to move on to. That truth is deep and profound enough to occupy us for eternity. And so he, he helps us In those three ways let's look at those three ways now together first look at verse 3 here in verse 3 Paul begins by saying we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you and notice in Paul's Thanksgiving prayer who does he thank for the faith of the Colossians He does not thank the the Colossians. I thank you, Colossians, that you have believed. He thanks God that the Colossians have believed. And in thanking God for the Colossians' faith in Christ, Paul is doing what? He is pointing us to God as the source of salvation. You, You don't thank God for something that somebody else did. And You don't thank the Colossians for something that God did and So he thanks God for the faith of the Colossians because God is the author of their Salvation and this is vitally important and in fact it undercuts the the false teaching of The people that are troubling the Colossians this way they're saying There's something more than you have heard from Epaphras that will take you deeper into your religious experience. And Paul at the outset reminds them that their very faith came from God. So if their very faith came from God, would God have not given them everything that they need? He's the source of their faith. Why would he have left them short to have to go out and find something deeper and better and more if he is the author of their salvation. So you see how Paul begins to battle this false teaching with thanksgiving, thanksgiving to God. He points us to God as the source of our salvation. I must say as a, I I grew up in a believing home under faithful Bible preaching, but I struggled with the assurance of salvation. And one of the reasons I did was, I, you, you heard it here first, the former moderator of the Presbyterian Church in America was a closet Arminian. Now, I didn't know that. If you had said to me, you're an Arminian when I was 10 years old, I would have had, first of all, I would have objected to that. I, I wouldn't have wanted to have been called an, an Arminian. But here, here's, here was my struggle. I, I believed that my faith and my repentance produced the new birth. And I was fearful about the quality of my faith and repentance. And I wasn't sure it was good enough to produce the new birth. Now look, I had had memorized the shorter catechism. I should have known better than this. I had been under faithful Bible preaching. I should have known better than this. But I didn't. And, And at a Presbyterian youth conference in Tampa, Florida, I heard a Presbyterian preacher preach from Ephesians chapter 1 when I was 14 years old, and it dawned on me for the first time that before I had ever reached out in faith to God, he had already reached out in grace to me. And that the reason that I had reached out to him in faith is because he had reached out in grace to me from before the foundations of the world. And of course that changes everything, doesn't it? That changes absolutely everything. And and so notice how Paul starts off here, I thank God for your faith. The reason, Colossians, that you are Christians is because of God. The reason that you in the midst of this culture that largely rejects God and largely rejects the Bible, the reason that you are Christians is because God in his sovereign mercy reached out to you in grace. And I thank God for your faith. That's the first thing I want you to see. Paul battles this false teaching by showing us that God is the source of our salvation. Here's the second thing I want you to see, especially in verses 4 and 5, the first part of verse 5. Notice Paul's triad here. Paul says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints, and the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul is not talking here about qualities that are natural to us. He is talking about what God does in believers by the work of His Spirit. These three things, faith and love and hope are the hallmarks of the work of God in the lives of believers. And Paul is listing this triad. He's speaking about faith and love and hope Because he's wanting the Colossians to take in how the gospel has worked in them. It's as if Paul is saying, take a minute and consider the faith that you have, the love that you have, and the hope that you have. Where does that come from? And his answer is the gospel. more love and more certain hope we want to grow in those experiences if we are believers and we want to grow in the expression of those things and and the way that those things take hold of our lives but the fact that we believe and love and hope Paul says is the fruit of the gospel in our lives let's just think for a few minutes about these three things first thing that Paul says is he's heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. They believe who Jesus is. They believe who Jesus is as he is declared in the word. They trust in Christ as he is offered in the gospel. They rely upon him. They rest upon him. They put their faith in him he is the sufficient object of their faith by the way this is presbyterianism 101 if you're a member of this church one of the questions that you have been asked and which you have answered yes is do you um first of all you you say do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of god justly deserving his displeasure and without hope save in his sovereign mercy. And when you answer yes to that, the next question you're asked is this. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for your salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Those are the first two questions you answer when you become a part of a Bible-believing Presbyterian body. And it's really expounding... What Paul's talking about here, faith in Christ. And Paul says, I've heard of your faith in Christ. Epaphras has come to me and told me, Paul didn't plant this church, Paul had not visited this church, but Epaphras has come to Paul and told them about the faith of the people in this congregation. And it encourages him. And so he's saying, I thank God that He's given you that kind of faith by the way if if you're here today and you're not a believer I, I I know that the pastor and the elders are thrilled that you are here and we want you to know that at the very heart of What we do and what we believe as Christians is the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel and trust in him and Paul is talking about something that is right at the core of Christian belief and in order to be a believer you you have to believe who Jesus says he is and trust in him with all your heart soul mind and strength for uh, salvation as he is offered in the gospel here's the second thing I want you to see notice he says I've heard of your love which you have for all the Saints in other words These people, because of the work of God in them, now are not self centered, essentially. They are living with a view to seeking the best interest of their brothers and sisters in Christ, especially. Uh, They're self giving and self denying in their love and care and concern for the brethren. And this is an evidence of the work of God's spirit in them. And then he says, notice, and this is because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, it's because of the hope that you have that you are able to love this way. Um, Which is quite fascinating. You know, as believers, you're called to love people sometimes that are difficult to love. That can be in your own family that can be in your church family. Some of us are more or less lovable. And and look, we're sinful human beings. After all, we're Calvinists, right? We believe in total depravity. We're sinful human beings. Some of us can be rather irritating to get along with. And so if, if you love only because of the expectation of love in return from the people that you're loving guess what, you're going to be disappointed. So Paul is saying here that actually our hope in heaven animates our love for other people. Why? Because our ultimate experience of the blessings of God and especially of His love to us is not dependent upon how other people respond to our love. We can love people that don't love us back because of the hope that is in us. And and Paul says, I I want you to look at these simple things, Christians in Colossae, faith, hope, and love. All of you in some measure, he's saying, who are true believers, have evidences of these things in your life. They're there because of the work of God. The fact that they are there is proof that the gospel works. And the fact that they are there is proof that you don't need to look somewhere else other than Jesus and the gospel for something deeper in your Christian life. He's asking them to just think for a minute how extraordinary these things are. That people believe on Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. That people love one another uh, even when they're not returned that love. And that people have a hope that is far beyond just temporal hopes. It's an eternal hope in heaven. Think how extraordinary that is. This this last week, I met three Christians who encouraged me in all of these areas. Very, very different. Very, Very different ages and backgrounds. All of them showed the evidence of this Spirit's work in their life. One was a lady almost 90 years old named Alice. Alice uh, has, had, been, has, has, had been a widow for um, two years. She had been married for over 50 years. Um, her husband uh, had made a profession of faith in Christ about six months before their marriage. And a few months into their marriage, he renounced Christianity and never went to church again. And um, though he was not unkind to her, uh, and though he was a good provider, as a believer, that was a 50-year trial for Alice. I mean, you—you you could. she wanted to marry a believer. And she thought she was marrying a believer. And in that part of their life, they were just... They were totally different she they, they were they were not united at the at the most significant place of intimacy for a, a a Christian couple that is united in their faith together in christ and it was a hard trial and and when when she, there were several ladies in the congregation that brought Alice up to me and sort of stood around her. these were the women who had prayed her through those years and then her husband died two years ago and uh and, and Alice talked about God's faithfulness. And then she said, and I've recently been remarried. To, get this, after 50-something years of marriage, almost 90 years old, she marries a 91-year-old pres- retired Presbyterian minister. And she talked to me like a 16-year-old girl in love. <laughs> And she couldn't wait to bring him over to me, to introduce him to me. And, and she said, "Ligan, you, you have no idea what it is like to be married to a godly man who cares for your soul. And she was, she was giddy like a girl. And he was blushing, I think, uh, <laughs> when, when he was. But, but here were two 90-year-olds in love. And and but what a testimony. This is a woman that loved God through a long hard marriage And then God in the latter days of her life gave her this wonderful relationship with a godly man, and I thought what a tremendous testimony of faithfulness in all those years in all of those hard places then I met Mr. Kim. Mr. Kim grew up in a Buddhist family in Korea. And he was the firstborn son of his father. But his mother could not bear other children, and so his father took another wife who bore five children to his father. So he had five uh, step-siblings, and uh, his father was abusive to his mother. And when he got to be about 10 years old, he stood up for his mother. And when he stood up for his mother against his father, his father kicked his mother and him out of the house, put them on the street. Now, his father was a wealthy businessman. And so he and his, his mother end up on the streets of Seoul in Korea. And you can imagine how, how dangerous a thing that was for a, a woman who had a child and who was now uh, divorced and on her own with little family uh, structure to support her. And, um, and, and, and they had to make it on their own. And uh, Mr. Kim determined that he was never going to be a man like his father. In the course of time, someone shared the gospel with him and he came out of Buddhism into Christianity. And he was eventually admitted into the most prominent university in the land, and he was given a 50% scholarship, but he and his mother lived on nothing. So even a 50% scholarship wasn't going to get him into the most prominent university in Korea. And so a Christian friend of his said, why don't you go back to your father and tell him That You've been admitted into this university. You would be the first member of his family ever to go to university and Maybe he would help you and uh, So mr. Kim went back to his father uh, To the village where he was and sat down with him and told him the story and uh, And but but he said father whether you help me or not The the main thing that I want to tell you is that I have become a Christian And he explained the gospel to his father. And at the end of the conversation, his father didn't even speak directly to him. His father spoke to somebody that was sitting with him and said, tell this young man to go away. No, I do not want to help him and tell him never to come back. Now, you know, Mr. Kim could have been caught up with bitterness and resentment. He was not. Uh, He himself built a company uh, with a thousand employees and he's a godly elder in a local congregation in San Diego, California now. And his son is a PCA minister, Julius Kim. Some of you all will know Julius. An amazing story of the power of the gospel. The gospel didn't make everything rosy in his life. But it enabled him to deal with rejection and resentment and enabled him to forgive and want to see his father come to faith in Christ. Sadly, I can't report that his father ever came to faith in Christ. But the gospel changed his life. And you you saw the kind of faith and love and hope in him that only a believer can have. Another story was a a young man named Robin that I met, an an Asian-American man. And he had worked with a campus ministry in Um, hungry and met a young Roman Catholic woman who was struggling with what the Bible taught and what the gospel said. And he shared the gospel with her. And She became a Christian and she moved to the United States And she met a young South African man named Neil and they got married and they became members at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. I had known them for years before I ever met Robin I had no idea how she had come to faith in Christ. She's a graduate of RTS She has a PhD and she's a Christian counselor and I never knew how she had come to faith in Christ but it was this young man Robin who went all the way from California to Eastern Europe and shared the gospel with this young woman and she came to faith in Christ. And what all of these stories remind me of is the gospel works. The gospel works, it changes lives. And in each of these people, you saw faith and love and hope at work. And that's what Paul's saying to the Colossians. He said, you can look among yourselves And see the truth that the gospel works. It changes lives. Now one last thing. I'm I'm late here. So let me hasten on to verses 5 to 8. What Paul does here in his testimony is he said, just consider again the gospel that you have heard. Look at what he says. First of all, he says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. In other words, Friends, you have already heard this gospel that I've been talking about. It's not some knowledge that has been held back from you. It was declared to you from the beginning. Second, he says, look at verse 6. This has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit. So the gospel, he said, the gospel that you have heard is not some secret message for you it is an openly declared proclamation that is being spoken and preached and proclaimed in all the world it's not some secret knowledge for a few special initiates who know the secret handshake it's something that that the that the gospel that the, the apostles are f- openly proclaiming in all all the world. The gospel is everywhere. And then notice again, he says, indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. So the the gospel is working just like I illustrated for you a minute ago. The gospel is working in all the world. Uh, Because of my job, I get to be on, uh, on every inhabited continent about once every 18 months. And many of you may not know that the largest Muslim country in the world is not in the Middle East, it's Indonesia. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. It's also the fourth largest country in the world. So the fourth largest country in the world is the largest Muslim country in the world. 87% of the population is, is Muslim. But in the last 40 years, about half a million people have become Christians there. The gospel is working. Iran has seen more conversions from Islam to Christianity in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries. The gospel is at work everywhere. What Paul says here to the Colossians is even more demonstrable today. The gospel is at work everywhere everywhere. The gospel is working. And then look at what he says. He says, and you learned it from Epaphras. Look at verse 7. He's our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. So what what is he saying is, hey, don't listen to these false teachers. Your, Your pastor preached this to you. You can trust him. He knows his Bible. He knows the gospel. Don't listen to these false teachers. Listen to your pastor. He's already been preaching this to you. And then notice what he says. As and since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. In other words, he's saying, I I know that you heard this. And I know that you understood the grace of God in truth. You, you got it right you did understand the gospel you don't need to move on to something else in addition to that or better than that or deeper than that you got it you got it right the first time don't go away from Christ don't go away from the gospel and my friends that's so important for us to remember today you know um Sometimes when you're listening to sports figures give a Christian testimony, sometimes it's encouraging, and then sometimes it's not, right? You know, sometimes you hear a testimony that's sort of part Christianity, part Disney, part Buddhism, and part prosperity gospel, all wrapped up in one, right? And then sometimes you hear these unbelievably clear testimonies. I especially love the testimonies from sports figures who've just lost, you know, and, and they're, they're all about the Lord Jesus Christ, even when they've just lost the game, because Christ is not a talisman to help them win a game. Christ is the all-sufficient Savior. Many of you may know that Frank Reich, who's now the coach of the um, Indianapolis Colts, was the president of Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. I think he's the only Reformed Seminary president to coach in a Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> And the night that the, he was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia um, um, Eagles when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And the the night uh, that he won, uh, he's very close with Rick Canada, uh, and um, I, 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 te- I just texted him a short message to, to say, we we're proud of you. And um, he shot, uh, believe it or not, on that busy of all nights, I'm sure he was up all night long after that. He, he shot me a note back, and he, he basically quoted from um, Keith and Kristen Getty's song, In Christ Alone. And he just said, My, he said, "Logan, it's great to win the Super Bowl, but there's nothing more important in the world to me than Christ. And uh, in, in those moments when, when triumph is substituted for Jesus, you know, that, that's, that's where you recognize syncretism in a person's life. But in a moment of triumph, when even that triumph can't compete with Jesus, you know that Jesus is taken of somebody's heart. He's taken control of somebody's heart. And, and the, the Apostle Paul's just pointing us right back there. There's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel that you're hearing preached from this pulpit week after week after week because there's nothing better let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for this time in your word thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray Heavenly Father that if any here today does not know Jesus savingly as he is offered in the gospel that you would open their eyes to behold the wonderful truth about the savior in your word we ask all of this in jesus name amen now let's continue to worship as we take our hymnals in hand and sing from number 529 love divine all loves excelling